0: Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance, from building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello and welcome to Getting in a College Coach Conversation. I am your host for this week, Shannon Vasconcelos, and we are sitting here in the middle of August. It is hard to believe that the summer is almost over. My my kids have a couple more weeks before they go back to school, but I know in some parts of the country they are already back. So for those of us that have a little bit more time, let's treasure it. Uh, before we turn into fall, which is actually my favorite season. So I, I'm, not, I'm not mad at, at fall that, it, that it's coming. Uh, we do have a great show for you today. Uh, in the back half of the show, my colleague Neal Rayleigh will be joining me to answer your listener questions. But for our first segment, I'm very excited to have with us Dr. Robert Alexander, who is the Dean of Admissions, Financial Aid, and Enrollment Management at University of Rochester. So Rob wears a whole lot of hats, and I'm very excited that he is here to join us today to talk about Rochester. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Shannon. It's great to be here.
1: I'm, I'm so glad to have you. And we've been doing these segments, trying to introduce our listeners to all different kinds of schools, you know, big schools and small schools and engineering schools and art schools, North, South, East, West, to um, to let the folks that listen to us know about, you know, all the different amazing colleges that are out there uh, beyond, you know, the kind of 10 or 20 names that you might hear all the time. Um, there are so many more great schools out there. And University of Rochester is certainly one of those schools. Um, and we had on, I think it was now a couple weeks ago, we had on um, Sue Stubner from Colby Sawyer, which is, uh, for those of you who didn't listen, that is a, a small liberal arts college. So we thought it would be fun to have, in contrast, to bring you, Rob, on for this episode to talk more about a large research university. Um, so again, very glad to have you here. So I guess, first of all, for our listeners who aren't very familiar with Rochester, can you fill us in on you know the short elevator pitch, what Rochester is all about?
2: Absolutely. So the University of Rochester is a comprehensive research university, though we're on the smaller end in terms of enrollment compared to those AAU or R1 institutions. So about 12,000 students total, but 6,000 undergraduates. And the premium is not only on this world-class research opportunity for undergraduates, but also on really meaningful connection with faculty who are mentors. The biggest thing for our undergraduate um, experience that really makes us distinctive is a curriculum that I call flexible. Um, Students don't have required courses. There are graduation requirements and there is some structure, but I think we really attract a student who wants that research university experience Mm -hmm. perhaps a smaller size, though we're certainly not a small school, and who really want to have ownership over their undergraduate curricular experience, who are interested perhaps in some traditional majors and disciplines, but who are also very open to cross-threading and combining other academic interests in really interesting ways. So we can talk more about that uh, curricular differential later, but I think it really exemplifies the way that the Rochester experience becomes customized for each and every student, as opposed to other places where I, I think the the ethos is you really come into a well-established culture and you assimilate in. No, mm-hmm. Rochester is much more individualized and um, customized from the outset for our students.
1: That's fantastic. And I was, I was reading a little bit about your flexible curriculum on your website, and it looks like there's sort of three parts to it. Could you explain a little bit more about that?
2: Sure. So it's, it's not quite an open curriculum. We actually do overlap mm-hmm. significantly with Brown. And I describe if, if the Brown curriculum has no rules, and you could think of it as a ball of clay that you could shape and mold and cut and, and do almost anything you want with. What I describe at Rochester is, it's almost like every student gets a box of Legos and there's some rules and some, some structure to how Legos fit together. But at the same time, nearly every student, even in the same major, even some students with the same major and the same minor have still put together very different courses in the course of their four years. So I say every student is gonna have the opportunity to build their own Lego project using the same building blocks um, o- over that four years. And it's become a metaphor for me for who's the right fit student for Rochester. Mm. That the right fit student is probably not the one who used to get a Lego set as a kid and only build what was on the cover of the box and follow the instructions to the letter. Yeah, our students might do that first, but then they're gonna pull that apart and they're gonna build something out of their imagination. Maybe they're gonna pull in some Barbies and GI Joes and uh, Silly Putty and, and you know, really mix and match and be creative with that experience. So students ultimately will end up on a four-year plan with a traditional major, but if they don't know what their major is gonna be right away, they can test the waters in a number of areas. One area might end up becoming their major. A second area might become a minor. And the third might remain that first building block, which we call a cluster. And Mm. a student will have to have a cluster in an area outside of their major to ensure some curricular breadth as well as depth. Um, But there's no general education requirement. So what that allows is the student who is very sure what they do want to study as they leave high school and start college, they can dive in deeply right away, as opposed to having to get mm-hmm. through the first year of gen ed requirements before they can really see if their intended major is what they expected and the right the right fit for them.
3: That
1: is really interesting. And I like how as opposed to a gen ed requirement that many colleges have, which take one English course and one history course and one biology course, you need to do something, it sounds like, outside of your major, but what that is is up to you, which, which I, I love the, the theory behind that.
2: And we're, we're very much attuned to you know, the, the leaders in every career. Uh, in what's left of this century, aren't going to be only those people who have very narrow and deep knowledge, right? We're building the quote-unquote T-shaped professionals that have depth but also breadth and can understand how to solve problems from and see analyze problems from very different perspectives using the tools of different academic disciplines. And all students are going to learn how to write very well. And they're going to learn across our college competencies, how to interact with people who are similar and different from them and and get that kind of experience through our curricular structure as well.
1: That's fantastic. And I love your Lego metaphor. I immediately think of my two little boys who love to play with Legos. And one of them is very much following the exact instructions to build what is on the front of the box. And the other one says, forget those instructions. I'm building." something crazy. And it sounds like that second child would be a better fit for for University of Rochester.
2: That's right. I I love my work and I love my colleagues dearly. But frankly, when I think of the experience of college counselors and coaches and Mm -hmm. students and families, it's a crowded and confusing marketplace to tell great schools apart right? We're, we're all often quoted saying, there's no bad colleges, there's just bad fits between students and places. And yet, when you listen to many of my colleagues talking about their institutions, gosh, they're all saying the same things. So where, where I see my job and the job of particularly my admissions team is how do we articulate those key differences? And for us, there are, you know a, a vast number of students who are capable of doing the work academically at Rochester. And when we're honing in in the admission process, even in the recruitment process of who should who should apply to Rochester and who are we going to select out of that applicant pool, that that sense of a student who really understands that our curriculum is different and is able to articulate why that's so appealing to them, Either because they had a lot of curricular flexibility themselves in high school and they learned a lot from that experience and, and want to replicate it when they get to college. Mm-hmm. Or on the other end of the spectrum, a student who didn't have much choice at all, but understands that very few colleges will give them uh, the ability to study transdisciplinary and interdisciplinary and in exploratory ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, That can really help a student stand out in in our application review.
1: That's fantastic. And there was another program that you have at Rochester that it's probably not as big a deal as your overall flexible curriculum. Uh, I don't think everybody participates in it, but it was called the Take Five program. And if I could go back in time and go to college, I would be all about this program. Can you explain a little bit what that is?
2: Yeah, take five is an opportunity for a student to apply, present a plan for what they would do in a tuition-free fifth year. So it's an opportunity to get outside of the major and degree requirements that they've already completed and use that fifth year to add a completely new dimension of exploration that is outside of their direct career focus and very different from the major of study that they've pursued in the first four years. So it is selective and it's a relatively small group, but the group who does it, um, gosh, they have really interesting um, thoughts and ideas of, and and can go off in some really interesting directions. And I think after that can present themselves as um, maybe more complex, maybe of more evolved humans when they do go mm-hmm. to those grad school interviews, job interviews, et cetera.
1: Yeah. And tuition-free. My background, Rob, is in financial aid. So I love the words tuition-free. <laughs> You're speaking my language.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> um, So tell me a little bit, you mentioned your, your student body. I think you said 12,000 students, 6,000 undergrads. Can t- tell me a little bit more uh, about what your student body looks like.
2: Sure. Another really interesting differentiator for Rochester is for a generation, international students have not been an afterthought for us.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: There's there's no typical Rochester student, but um, the students who are the right fit are really interested in that element of a college experience whether that's a student from right here in the city of Rochester, if they live on our campus, they will be away at school and they will have a truly national and international experience. Uh, Nearly in in, in the recent past, as many as a third of our students were international. Um, Now we're probably in a new steady state right around a quarter of the incoming class. And in this incoming class that's about to arrive, We'd expect more than 60 countries, and then we're incredibly diverse within the United States as well. Uh, New York is still our most represented state, but gosh, California and Texas are creeping up on it, Um, (laughs) and nearly every state in the union, plus a a great contingent of students from uh, Puerto Rico and other U.S. territories are represented. So that really adds to, I think, the discovery and growth that happens for our students, And the final dimension um, of of very intentional diversity is socioeconomic. Um, Rochester, uh, speaking of financial aid, is one of the the relatively few institutions that has the luxury, thanks to our donors and and, um, supporters, Mm -hmm. to meet the full demonstrated need for every student we admit. But unlike most of our peers who also meet full need we also offer some merit scholarships. So what I have experienced at other places that meet full need is you often have the vast majority of students from the wealthiest sectors of the US or even international um, economic strata. And then you have a cohort of some percentage of students on the exact opposite end, getting full need scholarships, but very little representation in the middle. Yeah. And- You know, speaking to colleagues at some of those schools, they'll wonder aloud, you know, why do we have so much strife on our campus? Well, it's because you don't have many students who can bridge that divide between the quote unquote haves and have nots. So I really value at Rochester the way that we utilize our need-based in concert with our merit-based financial aid to shape a class that is much more inclusive and representative of the socioeconomic diversity in our country and in the world.
1: That is great. And I just want to give a shout out to Joe on Facebook, because I was going to ask you this question. I think you already answered it. I I mentioned, Rob, how we're doing listener questions in the last half of the show, but Joe submitted a question specifically asking about um, international students at Rochester and why it was a higher percentage that he found it, and then at some other schools he was looking yeah. at. I think you addressed it, it, and you think that it it adds to the educational experience at Rochester.
2: Absolutely, um, I think people are are sometimes surprised what a wonderful international airport we have here in the city of mm-hmm. Rochester, named for Frederick Douglass, uh, another great representation of this community and our embrace yeah. of diversity and and uh, college access, and we have really created a great destination because not only are we recruiting those international students we're really ensuring that they have robust support across their four years we're one of the few schools that offers finan- that meets financial need and offers merit scholarships for international students as well That's wonderful. so we've we've created a very welcoming environment and i think a real sense of belonging for those international students both as sometimes a small cohort from their uh, nation of origin or their region of the world, then the broader international community writ large on campus, and then the you know fully ecumenical University of Rochester community uh, that, that doesn't always segment or segregate out the international students but really embraces them and and makes them part of um, the experience for every single student. Um, I can think of several of our student leaders and and even the past presidents of the student body uh, who have been international students. And we're not only focused on, you know, those those specific issues that international students might bring to the table, but we saw themselves as representatives university-wide.
1: That's fantastic. So it sounds like Rochester is very committed to creating a diverse atmosphere on their campus. And regular listeners to our show know that there was a recent Supreme Court decision that um, basically outlawed the use of race specifically in the, in the college admissions process. Um, how do you see that playing out and affecting um, the admissions process uh, at Rochester?
2: Thanks for bringing that up, Shannon. I, I hadn't heard about this decision, but I'm just <laughs> no, uh, no. I, and I don't mean to make light of it. It is, yeah. um, you know, extraordinarily challenging, and you know, definitely seems to me that uh, it, it is not the direction that we should be going as a country. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it is the decision that, frankly, we were anticipating and had plenty of time to plan for at the undergraduate admission level. Um, Not very much needs to change at the University of Rochester because we have long prided ourselves on a truly holistic review process. Um, We're not a school that has worked intentionally to double the number of applicants every year and have this extraordinarily large applicant pool. Instead, we're trying to send the signals to the right fit students and have even them self-select into our application pool. So, twenty-one thousand applicants, each of whom are reviewed by two separate admissions committee members, and in that review, we will be completely uh, race neutral. We're likely to be race blind uh, and and not bring in the student's answer to uh, a racial or ethnic categorization question um, on on the application for admission. Okay. Um, But instead, we will continue to really focus on that student's story. Our first reader is paying acute attention to who is this student within their existing community. That could mean their school community. That could mean extracurricular engagements. Certainly, it's likely to have family and environmental context. And that's exactly where uh, the Supreme Court's opinion uh, continues to allow focus. The second reader, their job is to consider who would this student be amongst our University of Rochester community, and particularly this incoming class cohort. So as I often say, and I'm, I'm sure some of my colleagues on the podcast have opined, we're not looking for 1,500 of the same archetypal perfect students. What we're looking for is a class of 1,500 very different students who will create, because of their similarities and differences, the perfect class every year. And some years, that class uh, might need a soccer goalie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Other years, we've got three great soccer goalies on the team already, and we're not looking for that. So for us, that in-depth review and particularly looking into a student's demonstrations of their values and how those align with our institutional values Mm -hmm. has already been our focus. Rochester was one of the founding members of uh, the Character Collaborative, um, which now is going to be a part of uh, the National Association for College Admission Counseling. And I, I think we helped establish some best practice in this area mm-hmm. of trying to assess a student's non-cognitive abilities. Right. For Rochester, one dimension of that that we really lean into is what I call academic character. The student's academic character, meaning how and when have they encountered true intellectual curiosity um, how have they made intentional decisions about where they focused their um their intellectual energy? Maybe that's by making choices again in their curriculum at school? Maybe that's the the YouTube rabbit holes that they've you know <laughs> jumped all the way down and learn new skills you know on on YouTube or through podcasts. Um we want to understand how how they live a life of the mind, and how that is making them better, but also how that is benefiting all of those around them, Mm -hmm. community at large. And if they come to Rochester, how will they live our motto, which means ever better, and maybe someday make the world better? Yes. That could be as the best fourth grade teacher that they can be, Mm -hmm. or- They could join the ranks of our three astronauts that have already uh, been to space amongst Rochester alumni, but all sorts of different ways that they can make that impact. But that's what we want to hear from them in their essays, in their interviews, and from their recommenders.
1: That is great. and I love your um, explanation of your job as an admissions officer or the job of your admissions office because I think people really misunderstand this and they think the job of the admissions office, what they're trying to do is admit the quote unquote, best students.
2: That's right. Often narrowly
1: defined best test scores, best grades, but that is not what you consider your job. It is to shape the best class.
2: Absolutely right. And I, I explain it that way all the time that we don't take all of our applicants and rank order them in terms of their academic achievements Admit starting at the top and and stop when we feel like we're quote unquote full. No, we're we're looking so much deeper into the student than just a GPA. Um, we're certainly spending a lot of time with their transcript, and really trying to under understand that student's academic performance and academic potential. Um, but I'm the one as as the dean who has to take those phone calls every year from a counselor who wants to understand. Uh, sometimes wants to argue a little bit about why we took some student that was not the valedictorian and perhaps didn't admit that valedictorian student yes. um, and it 's because we're we're looking at that fit factor and mm-hmm. which is going to be the best student for Rochester, not simply the best student on on some other arbitrary dimension right.
1: And you you have a lot of experience in higher education. I believe before Rochester, you were at Millsaps College, which is, a for those who don't know, small liberal arts college in Mississippi. I believe the weather is quite different, as I imagine. But can you explain it in other ways how these two kind of university experiences are differences? And for students who are just starting their search, and really, do I want a small liberal arts college? Do I want a larger research university? How do they make that decision?
2: You're absolutely right. And again, there's no bad colleges. There's just better and worse fits. Um, I think there are some students who, if they do some soul searching, would really benefit from being in a very small academic community and on a campus where they are going to to truly feel known and supported by almost everyone that they see in a given day Mm -hmm. on that campus. That's an extraordinary opportunity um and and Millsaps is an exceptional place that produces Rhodes scholars regularly and um you know for for a small place really punches above its weight class, so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that experience was really fantastic for me. Um, the role that I got to play at Millsaps was um extraordinarily broad uh, was overseeing. Admissions, financial aid uh, for a time, institutional uh, research for a time, IT, uh, and then all of marketing and communications. So that was a very broad scope. Yeah. At Rochester, an institution that is much larger, much similar to my own alma mater and where I started my admissions career. um, I'd say the the benefits for a student in that environment are a lot more breadth and maybe even some more depth in terms of there are more people than you could ever get to know. There are more opportunities than you could ever take advantage of. So, you know, it can be slightly overwhelming, um, but perhaps not as overwhelming as, you know, some of our peers at Rochester and where some of our admitted students will choose that have a first-year class that's larger than our entire undergraduate student body. Yeah. So, I encourage students out there and, and counselors to, to help students go visit and spend some time on a small campus near you mm-hmm. and the largest campus near you and get that real on the ground sense, even if those those two institutions, for example, are not ever going to be on your list. Just go have that experience, take the tour, listen to the questions, sit in on a class because you'll learn a lot. And I think you can then extrapolate on to maybe some smaller schools that are farther afield, or big schools that are, you know, internationally known, but that you might not easily get to visit
1: right. And you also um spent, I believe a lot of time at Tulane. And I think that you were there during Hurricane Katrina. And then you came some experience in between. And then you came to Rochester in the early days of the Covid pandemic. So you have had, some experience with uh, emergency management uh, in higher ed, and I think you know for our parents listening, they're looking for all different things in a college experience for for their child. At the very basic level, I, I think I can speak for all the parents listening at the most basic level, they want their kids to be safe when they go off to school. what What did you learn through these experience? about safety and emergency management on college campuses?
2: Well, you're right, and for better or for worse, I have sort of been through those experiences yeah. Um, I often say that I worked at three different institutions in New Orleans, Tulane before Katrina, Tulane during Katrina, mm. and in post-Katrina. Yeah. And, uh, certainly, there, there were a lot of differences there. What I would say that I saw an experience that would be relevant to particularly parents going through this search is the, the individual campus communities and the higher education community writ large. mm mm-hmm. Is an absolutely incredible group of people who could not care more about their students, yeah. and institutions really do make decisions thinking about the students first um, when mm-hmm. when planning and and laying out emergency management um, protocols, yeah. and as things are actually unfolding and, and determining what to do. Um, specifically for Rochester being known as a place with a world-class medical center. uh, I was really grateful that um, the institutional leadership was looking to those medical experts for guidance on how to navigate COVID. So our students were extraordinarily safe and also benefited, though, from being back in person as soon as we were sure that that would be safe for Mm -hmm. our students. And really benefited from that experience, and not having to, you know, go through a whole nother year uh, of virtual college. Yes. I had a virtual kindergartner during that time, and I can certainly say that. Uh, <laughs> as
1: <laughs>
2: I, as I did you I. yeah. More in person. Um, <laughs> so, to parents, you know, ask the questions and understand what's the health center on campus. Ask whether there are emergency management uh, plans in place. Um, ask how those plans impact students and how they're communicated to students and know how you as a parent will be communicated with. So uh, for for Rochester and for most institutions, uh, there are uh, alert systems that students are um, automatically included in, but can opt out. And then for parents, oftentimes the parent needs to opt in. But then you'll receive any emergency alerts via text message, probably more detail via a subsequent email follow-up. And I know that helps our feel parents feel like they are in the know in real time if and when there is anything that we uh, need to communicate to uh, the campus community urgently. I've long believed that parents, uh, even if you want to call them helicopter parents, <laughs> we should be building great helicopter landing pads for them and guiding them in because otherwise they're going to hover and buzz around into places that's not going to really be helpful for them and probably disruptive to the, the work of the professionals on that campus. So let's give them a clear pathway to stay in touch and get the right information.
1: That is great, and we are, over time, I'm sure Jordan, our producer, wants to strangle me right now, but I have to ask you one more question, because it came up recently in in sort of our internal uh, chats here at at College Coach, Um, a new, I believe, statement on your, the Rochester application, and I'll just read it, and you can can explain this to me, Embedded within the University of Rochester experience is our commitment to the values of integrity and accountability. As a result, we ask that you attest to the following academic honesty statement related to your application. I affirm that all work submitted in association with my formal application to the University of Rochester application and supplement includes written work, artistic or research responses of my own work without the use of unpermitted AIDS resources or artificial intelligence tools, such as, but not limited to, ChatGPT, Copilot, Minerva, Photomap, et cetera. Tell me the motivation for that.
2: Well, I think we're at the very infancy of understanding how these new tools can and will be utilized by students. So for now, what we're asking is that students submit their own work and, and tell us their story in... An authentic, but hopefully a compelling way. Frankly, I think I, I fear that a student thinking that an AI is going to make their college essay better might actually end up in a situation where it really takes their authentic voice uh, away from that piece. And that's the most important thing for us. Um, it's, it's not whether the spelling and grammar are exactly correct. And it's not whether it aligns with what uh, you know some database of previously written essays thinks was the most compelling of those. It's what is the story that this student can tell us? And how does that story map onto the class that we're trying to shape in this given year?
1: That is, I think, a good lesson to take for all the students out there. Applying to Rochester or anywhere else, be yourself in this process. Don't be chat GPT.
2: (laughs) And there will be a great college for every one of those students. Uh, This process works well. I know it's anxiety inducing for students, parents, and and counselors, but I, I have very rarely seen it fail at presenting not just one, but a number of really great opportunities for students to continue their education.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Rob. It was great learning all about Rochester and I'm sure our listeners learned a lot. So thank you.
2: Thanks for a great conversation and everybody out there. If Rochester sounds interesting to you, we'd love to have you for a visit.
1: Awesome. And we are going to take a quick break and be back to answer your listener questions. So stay tuned.
0: Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Ian Fisher from College Coach here with the sad news that summer is coming to a close. And while we'll miss time by the pool, we are still looking forward to the fall. This is a great time to start thinking about the college application process, whether you're a senior or a freshman, and to make the end of the summer a little less painful, We're offering our biggest discount of the year 15% off any comprehensive College Coach package if you sign up between August 14th and August 31st.
4: So make your way to getintocollege.com and fill out a form for more info today. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice schools. Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com experts to learn more.
0: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener q and a segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back everyone. And it is now time to do my favorite thing that we do on the podcast, which is answer listener submitted questions. So if you do have questions for us, do not hesitate to send them in to us. Um, You can submit them right through our website. You can email them to us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Or you can also comment or DM us on Any of the social media you've got out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the places. So just reach out to us wherever you are. We are probably there. Just ask us a question and we'll get to it in an upcoming segment. Uh, And joining me today for the first time, I'm very excited about uh, my colleague, Neal Rayleigh. Welcome, Nial.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, you are so welcome. And I should say Neal has a ton of experience in college admissions. You worked at Middlebury and Colorado College and Lewis and Clark. Really, experience from coast to coast in Neall. So I think you're a good one to answer listener questions. Uh, you have been there. Wherever they're thinking about applying, Neal has been there. Um, and I should also probably say that we did an all um, college finance listener question segment last week. Um, so I think we're going to focus uh, probably entirely on admissions questions um, today. So let us dig right in so we can get to as many of them as possible. And the first question comes in from Shubi, um, submitted through Facebook, and Shubi says, "I have been listening to your Apple podcast and it is really helpful. Give us a review." I got to put that plug in. Uh, I'm a rising senior applying to pre-dental programs, and we live in Wisconsin. My daughter took the ACT twice in the summer and got a 33 twice. Uh, Super scored, uh, it would be 34. So, first of all, fantastic scores out there. Um, So, great job to Shabb's daughter. Um, The question, though, is um, she did not take the writing section either time, and her local counselor is livid about this, and she wants her to take the ACT again in September so she can take that writing section. I think my answer to the question is that the counselor needs to chill out. (laughs) Stop being so livid, but what do you say, Neil?
3: That's absolutely right. So in the last few admission cycles, particularly since the SAT discontinued their essay section, um, almost no colleges in the country are requiring the ACT writing section, right? Um, None of the IVs, for instance, are requiring or even recommending that students submit their writing section. So simple answer, don't worry about it. You have a great score. Um, and and if colleges are, are keen to understand how strong your writing is, there's a ton of writing in the applications, right? Your common yeah. application essay and all of that. And um, that's that absolutely will suffice. So do not worry about the writing section of the AC. In this particular situation, don't worry about it
1: perfect i love it when there's an there's an easy answer so often our answers are it depends but this really doesn't depend they're fine counselor stop being livid yes all right uh the next question uh came in from mona through our website um and mona asks how are the following activities viewed by college admissions officers number one starting a new charity in high school and hosting fundraising events and active charity events while in high school, parentheses, and then the new charity is abandoned once in college. <laughs> I think we know how Mona feels about this um, compared to so starting your own charity compared to volunteering in charities that are already in existence in a hands on approach. So maybe not in a leadership position, but. Uh, volunteering those sweat hours for an existing organization. Oh, So Mona's asking about one, the charity situation, or another possibility for activities, going on an overseas mission trip uh, to a developing country or doing a Cambridge or Harvard summer session, or we've got lots of options here for activities, taking a class locally, Uh, at the high school during the summer or working a part-time job in town. Uh, I recall hearing uh, on your podcast previously that the activity you do doesn't matter. However, some of the above quote unquote sound more impressive, even though Mona personally feels that you can get equally impactful experience at all. So Neal, can you provide some details as to how college admissions Uh, Officers at highly selective universities view these types of activities. Uh, My student, Mona says, is noticing many of her peers are doing the more expensive options like starting their own charities that are supported by wealthy families and their wealthy friends, or attending these summer programs that cost thousands of dollars. Um, So Mona's daughter's friends are doing these things and we are just not sure, she says, if that equates to a greater acceptance chance Uh, at these selective colleges, um, or if it doesn't and the colleges see that these are just a money game, why are all these students continuing to do these things, Nial? That's a good question.
3: Great question. So really at the heart of the question is which extracurriculars are valued by selective colleges more than others, right? And there is no linear scale from least valuable to most valuable extracurricular activity. If there was, everyone would be clambering to do those ones that are the most valuable, right? Uh, It would be an easy question to answer. Um, But let's start a little bit big picture and answer the question, right? So so we often talk about how colleges, how selective colleges like to see two things in an extracurricular profile. One is breadth, which means well-roundedness of the students' involvement across the different areas, right? Um, across their high school career, that Mm -hmm. well-roundedness should appear. And the second is depth in a couple of areas. It doesn't have to be in everything, right? And what do I mean by depth? Um, Depth can be achieved in a variety of different ways, and that's really dependent on the activity itself, right? So, for instance, you could have a traditional leadership role in an activity that offers that, Um, or you could achieve depth through innovation, right, or through consistent involvement across time or through some 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 situations and competitions right some some mm-hmm. activities might have a competition or so um, or it could simply be by deepening or evolving your perspective and growing as your time with that organization continues mm-hmm. um, so so that's the the, the the sort of big picture answer to what colleges are really looking at right but if we were to try to get into a little bit more, nuance there, right? Particularly in the context of this question, how can this student make the right choice for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's when we start thinking and asking the question about what is the story, right? What is the narrative that the student is trying to communicate through their extracurricular activities? For instance, if this student wants to communicate that they are a self-starter, that they are really innovative and they like to take initiative and execute new ideas, then maybe starting a new charity, is a good idea for them. If to the contrary, they're trying to communicate that they have really learned the ins and outs of the work of this particular nonprofit that they really admire and that they really wanna make a substantial contribution in the area that that nonprofit is working in, maybe that that's the better option in this situation, right? So it really is dependent on what the student is wishing to communicate about themselves as part of the overall narrative of the application. Remember, this is one of many places where a student can really show different facets about themselves. Um, so this can be one of those puzzle pieces. You can make really intentional choices. There is no right or wrong answer. This is one of those good examples where there isn't right. But to your also to your question about, um, you know, whether having attractive extracurriculars is a money game? No, it's not, no. I don't think so. Right. Um, Wealthy families, yes, they can afford more expensive programs, but those programs don't inherently carry more weight or carry weight as a function of their cost. Right. And to share an example, many selective colleges in the country have these summer programs. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're fairly popular. They can cost a lot of money. Oftentimes they're not that selective. Right. The summer programs themselves. And I'm not saying that those programs don't carry any value in that, you know, you through participating in the program, you could become really familiar with the campus and the environment, you could talk much more specifically about your experience that summer and understanding the campus really well if you're applying to that place, or you might be studying material that is honing your your skills and knowledge in that particular area and you're able to talk about it with much more erudition, right? Um, mm-hmm. so, so those things could be really valuable, but if you were to apply to that college that you did a summer program at, right, you don't inherently, as a function of doing that program, are going to be more competitive as an applicant um, for that particular university, right? So that hopefully is illustrative that it really isn't about the cost of an extracurricular. It's about how you make it your own and the story that you tell by, by having that show up as part of your activities list.
1: Really good advice. And I think it, it is a such a common fallacy. If I do the summer program at Yale, I will be more likely to get into Yale. Is, I think a lot of families think that way, understandably, but it's just not the case, right?
3: right? And and the Yale admissions office would be the first, first people to say that, yes. right? Yes.
1: Uh, yeah. 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 All right, the next question for you, Neal, comes in through Facebook from Virgil. And Virgil says, we know that having a strong transcript uh, demonstrates a solid academic foundation and shows that a student can handle a rigorous college environment. Many less selective colleges are willing to accept fours and fives on AP exams for college credits. By the time my student graduates from high school, she will have taken a lot of APs. That could set her up for gaining admission to a selective school or racing ahead at a less selective school? The advantage of the less selective option is more easily managing a double major or maybe finishing college in three years and saving mom and dad a good amount of money. But what are the disadvantages to using AP tests to skip ahead?
3: What a great question. Yeah. Um, so, So how about we first explore more fully how a strong AP score, or maybe even IB score, International Baccalaureate score, mm-hmm. can help, right? So um, typically in two ways. One is it can surely could get you a college level credit. And the other way is that it also could help you place out of, of introductory courses, right? So I wanted to make that distinction because because it can show up in multiple ways. Right. But the reality is that, that a vast number of, of colleges, whether highly selective or less selective, will award students college level credit for for ap scores there are some and really only a handful um, that I, I believe 10 or so colleges right that don't do that and made an intentional choice to say you know we used to but now look we're not we're not counting ap even if you get a high ap score we're not going to give you college level credit for that but even most of these places are going to help are going to let you place out of certain courses dependent on a score, dependent on your experience. So that's that's important to know as, as we address that question, right? But even at these less selective colleges, um, there are often limits to how many credits that you can transfer in, or there's an expectation that a student has done a certain number of courses or a certain period of time at their home university. So, mm-hmm. you know, even if a student did uh, you know, got had 12 APs and it fours and fives in all of them. It doesn't automatically mean that they're going to have junior standing or sophomore standing. So it really is worth exploring it on a case-by-case basis to better understand, you know, for this university, what is the score that would help me place out of what? What would it give me in terms of credit? Um, they can sometimes be really transparent about that, so you can get a pretty good sense of that from their websites. Um, but it's also important to remember that at these colleges, there's gonna be major requirements, right? Sometimes there's core requirements beyond the major. Sometimes there's distribution requirements across several different fields. And uh, yet another complicating factor in trying to figure out, um, you know, what my path through these four years is gonna be while I can try to use these AP credits here and there, right? Uh, but as, as the question mentions, yes, you you might, Gain some flexibility, which is which is awesome, and and perhaps you might also, as a result, shave off a semester or a year and save some money. Um, to really get to your question, what are the disadvantages? Next to all that context, right? <laughs> but some of the disadvantages um, of of accelerating through college, um, you you might maybe you benefited, maybe you would benefit from that introductory course that you're skipping over, right? right. Um, so you know. College, high school—it it depended on the course. It isn't always uh, that you studied exactly the material that you'd be placing out mm-hmm. of in the, in the college-level course, right? Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. Second, you might feel a little bit more of that pressure on meeting those requirements, whether it be for your major, whether it be for the college-specific requirements, and and you might have to make some sacrifices, right? So maybe you won't study abroad, right? Maybe you. Don't double major. You have a single major, right? Things like that um, would be a disadvantage. Just less flexibility there, and and potentially you might also be choosing that you're not graduating with your class, right? And mm. is is that a priority for you? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, will that be a priority for you down the line, right? Some of these places are really designed to be a four-year experience and getting to know your peers in the social and intellectual context can be a really important part of that experience. So I uh, don't want to understate that either. So those are some of the disadvantages that that come to mind.
1: Perfect. And I think we probably, I think that's probably all we have a chance for. We have maybe like in 30 seconds, Neil, our rising seniors, what yeah. should they be doing right now? It's mid-August. What should they do? What should be top priority?
3: If school hasn't started yet, Try to work on your essays, right? You're gonna be pulled in a hundred different directions when school starts, with activities and school yeah. and exams and all—not exams yet, mm-hmm. hopefully—but with uh, mm-hmm. with all the bunch of stuff that you're doing when school starts up, and it can be hard to make the space to work on your writing, particularly your main college essay. Assuming you're working on the common application, yeah. try to do as much of that, that drafting of that, before school starts.
1: I think that that is great advice. Thank you so much for for that and for all your advice today, Neal. It's been great having
3: you. Yeah, it's been fun.
1: And thank you listeners for joining. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We definitely appreciate the feedback and it does help more families to find us. So thanks in advance for that. And I hope you join us next week where we're going to be talking about Naviance, which is the tool that some of your high schools may be using to manage the college application process and beyond. Um, For college freshmen heading off to school in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be covering the do's and don'ts of dorm move-in day, which should be fun. And we're going to talk about tuition refund policies, which is a very important process to understand before sending your child off to school. So please do tune in next week. And we will be here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit getintocollege.com.